Good morning and welcome to another episode of CCT Live, the Cape Cod Times Live Facebook news broadcast coming to you every Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy and I'm joined today by Marianne Bragg, uh, a reporter here at the Times who covers the towns of Orleans, Wellfleet and Truro as well as offshore wind energy which we'll be talking a lot. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about the latest developments in a state process to procure hundreds of megawatts of electricity from offshore wind, uh, which is the big story uh, this week today in today's paper. We'll also talk a bit about about this uh, treasure trove of uh, basically jewels and and silver and gold that was found off Columbia uh, with help from some local scientists. And we'll also uh, look ahead at some Memorial Day uh, planning that you can do based on, on our coverage going forward. You can take a look back at all our episodes and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those sorts of things. Uh, we're going to dive right in because there is plenty to talk about. And, and one story I didn't just mention, but that was kind of earlier in the week, uh, Marianne, on Saturday, you would did you attend the royal wedding? Was that what happened? <laughs> no, we did not go to England, but we managed to get ourselves invited to a royal wedding party in Yarmouth Port. And, uh, this like is England. Yarmouth Port is very much like England. Similar, similar. So uh, the person who actually invited us to their party, a woman named Morag Maisel, she's a nurse midwife. She and her husband live in Yarmouth Port. She's actually Scottish and, uh, and had just become an American citizen on May 8th. But um, she, at 6.20 in the morning, about 15 people, friends and family, showed up. Um, she had really decked out her home beautifully, and everyone was so happy and kind of pretty much awake. Um, kind of pretty much awake. That's how and, I was at that time, too. Yeah. So she had, right away, she handed us all a drink, which I only took a tiny sip of the special English cocktail with Pim's number one. And uh, her dining room table was covered with all this great food, including a homemade Victoria sponge, which is the sponge cake with jam, layers of jam, and then speckled with uh, sugar. The other important thing was that there was this huge television downstairs in the basement, and that's ultimately where we all gathered and watched the royal wedding together. So, And, and again, I can't and say I was paying much attention. This was Harry who got married? Who, who yeah, got married? Prince Harry. Harry. Prince Harry and... Uh, Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle. Okay. And just to notice, our hostess was Morag Maisel, and we were watching Meghan Markle. So we were just full of M's she there. She felt a, a special yeah. uh, place there, I'm sure. So, And there were great photos that were taken by, I believe, Steve Heslip the, of That's them right. in all their regalia and, and the special uh, treats they had there. So everybody can take a look online for, for that. Um, we also had, uh, I, I believe, in Sunday's paper and then in Monday's paper, a, uh, a two-part uh, series all about ticks. This was uh, reporter Cindy McCormick who covers uh, ticks and, and the diseases they bring with them for us uh, it, quite extensively. And the first story was about co-infections, which are different types of uh, diseases that you may pick up at the same time. Everybody knows about Lyme, um, but she did a, a story about these co-infections. The second story, which appeared on Monday, um, really caught my eye. And as we were talking before coming on the air here, uh, it's it's like a horror story. And actually, that's in the story. Somebody had written a novel and they said it was like a Stephen King, uh, you know, a Stephen King novel come true um, in terms of these ticks. And, and the point that the experts that Cindy was talking to made uh, was that there was a, a little talk. Uh, I think there were a lot of stories that came out a couple of weeks ago about how is it going to be a bad tick season or is it going to be a good tick season? And the experts that Cindy talked to said 
you can just ignore all that. There's no such thing as a good or bad tick season. Ticks are everywhere. Every season now is a bad uh, tick yeah. season, if you will. And and they're spreading in terms of where they're located. And again, this starts to sound like a horror story. And, and we promise you, we don't try and scare people with our stories. In this case, probably a good idea to be a little scared because if you are, uh, you may take the, the proper precautions to make sure that you're not bitten by one of these ticks. Um, but people like Dr. Stephen Rich, who's from the University of Massachusetts Amherst and studies this extensively, said it's kind of wrongheaded to think about bad and good tick seasons. They're everywhere. Only one bite is what it takes to make you sick. And in particular on the Cape, the thing that jumped out at me again is when you look at it, <laughs> where this was. Coastal communities are a hotspot for ticks. Okay, we're a coastal community. Massachusetts in particular, it seems like, is a hotspot for uh, a lot of these uh, types of diseases that come from ticks. And in particular, uh, Cape Cod and the islands, and in particular, uh, a particular area called the Punkhorn, which is in Brewster, really, um, but is an area where I am often found or frequent myself, um, is potentially the hottest spot. Uh, they said that they were doing some uh, some uh, surveys out there and they found that uh, there were 212 ticks per hour that they picked up in the punkhorn conservation area uh, or punkhorn area in, in Brewster that's compared to some place like the Burgess conservation area uh, where they found 24 of these nymph ticks. Where is so, the punkhorn? Punkhorn is in Brewster. It's right on the border and I think maybe even crosses over into Harwich. So okay. it's, um, it's uh, kind of north of or north and kind of west of 124, but mid Cape right there in the middle. Um, and it's a big area. It's something a lot of people may not even know that much about. They know about Nickerson, but the Punkhorn is a big wooded area. Lots of kind of roads that go back there um, and pretty wild and filled with ticks, as it turns <laughs> out. So, uh, again, that was one hot spot that they had found. But, again, as these experts said, their ticks are spreading everywhere. They're, they're going into, I think they said, Siberia they found them. They Scandinavian plains. So it's not that, that you can be like, oh, I'm here, here in this location. This location is safe. They're, they're everywhere. And because of that, they, they kind of doubled down in this story that Cindy wrote on what they've been saying, you know, all along, which is protect yourself, wear long clothing. If you're going out into the woods, treat it with permethrin, um, treat your lawns, um, you know, do daily tick checks, daily showers. Everybody should probably be taking a daily shower anyway, <laughs> but you know how it is. Um, and just making sure that you're generally protected and checking yourself for these ticks. And, and one of the things they say, while the adult ticks may carry more of these diseases, they're easier to spot. So it's the small ones that you can't really see that you have to watch out for. And these are like the poppy seed size, size things that you, you never really get a good look at. Um, so in any case, be careful. Uh, I guess be scared. I mean, I'm not telling you that. You can read the story and, and decide for yourself. That but was a sobering story, so, I thought. Sobering is a great word for it. Yeah. You know, after your PIMS, you're thinking, oh, yeah. whoa, whoa, ticks. I got to be uh, sober up here. No, no. That, you know, no. a sip. That's that's fine. You had to do it for the story, I'm sure. The uh, uh, another big story this week was uh, one that Christine Legere uh, wrote about, and that was uh, the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, which we know well. They're very active internationally uh, with a lot of science, obviously, um, and and they're you know are one of our local science institutions down there in Woods Hole with MBL and and Woods Hole Research uh, Center and and others uh, like that. But they are also known for their autonomous uh, underwater vehicles uh, that they use to do a lot of this research. And they were part, uh, this is really three years ago that this happened, 
where they were part of this group that went and found this sunken Spanish galleon. And again, we're also kind of experts on sunken treasure because we have the Wida <laughs> off off the coast of uh, Wellfleet there that yeah. you know well. And um, But this one in particular sounds like they're saying uh, it went down in 1708. Uh, it had been hammered by a, a British uh, battleship as part of the uh, War of Spanish Succession, which I have to catch up on my history about. But um, it had gone down 300 years it had been there. Nobody knew where it was. And it had billions of dollars worth in today's dollars worth of gold, silver, and emeralds, I think, on board is what they were saying. And it's been called the Holy Grail of shipwrecks, which is wow. yeah, pretty pretty awesome thing to think about. Yeah. Uh, in any case, the, the Huey was uh, asked to help. They were hired, basically, to help with this search. Uh, and they used this uh, 12-foot-long underwater uh, robot, basically, that went down and, and was able to help find within this 100-square-mile area, I believe, off the coast of Colombia, uh, this shipwreck. Uh, and they were able to see cannons, and the photos are really interesting that they took underwater cannons, pottery, and from some of the cannons in particular, they were able to find engravings of dolphins that helped right, them. I thought that was so cool. Like, was. That was the identifying Exactly. Yeah. I got to remember to put dolphins on all my stuff. So years from now, people will know it's mine. Yeah. That's how they figured it out. Yeah. Uh, and to get to get that bit of, of identity, they had to really be right on top of them uh, with Remus and these uh, images that they took had to be clear. And they were. Um, it's not without some controversy. There's been legal challenges throughout the years, including from a, a firm that said that they had found it first. Um, and I know uh, UNESCO, the United Nations uh, uh, organization, uh, that deals with education and culture uh, has raised some concerns about the exploitation of the wreck and, and making sure that that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So uh, not without some controversy, but really one of those stories that was just kind of neato keen and that they're, they're now talking about how they deal with it and what they're going to do with the wreck uh, for Huey, It wasn't actually, they kind of said the area that they were searching was relatively small compared to other areas they've searched. They were part of the search for the air France flight that, that went down in uh, um, wow. 2011 off Brazil, I believe. Yeah. And that was a big area yeah. and they helped to map and, and, uh, photograph the Titanic wreck. So they've been involved in a lot of big, uh, types of things like this, but that billions of dollars and a shipwreck and Spanish galleon and cannons. I mean, it really is one of those stories that you should read and you can do that at capecottimes.com and, and, uh, in our newspaper from, uh, earlier this week. Big story in today's paper, big story uh, of the week, um, and one that is tied to stories that we've been, uh, you know, reporting on for years here. But it seems like the culmination of, of a lot of things uh, in this report that you have in today's paper about offshore wind, Marianne, and why don't you tell us about that? That's right. So for the first time ever, really, the, the utility companies in Massachusetts are going to be purchasing offshore wind energy as part of their portfolio. And this really kind of came to, there's still quite a bit of ways to go, of course, but it really came to a head with the announcement yesterday that of three competitors who were bidding to sell the energy to the utilities, uh, Vineyard Wind won the bid. And so this is, um, the three companies all are big global companies with a lot of offshore wind experience, but particularly Vineyard Wind, um, they attributed their their being chosen to the price that they uh, intend to offer to the utility companies for the energy. Now, at this point, we don't yet know what the price is, but um, as the uh, 
contract negotiations go forward, and that's the next step. So Vineyard Wind will be negotiating their contract with the three utility companies. Um, we're hoping to find out more about what the price that's being offered um, will be. But just to give you some of the basics, uh, the, the three competitors who are trying to sell, trying to bid on the contracts, they all have leased land south of Martha's Vineyard. It's about 12 miles south of the island, south and southwest. It's all on federal land that they've leased, long-term leases. Um, Vineyard Wind in particular does have a lot of local ties in the sense that um, they plan to bring their electric cable to land from their wind farm um, up through uh, Lewis Bay in Yarmouth, and their second preferred route is through Barnstable. But uh, they will be negotiating with the town of Yarmouth, possibly the town of Barnstable as well, in terms of bringing that cable to land. They've also said that um, they uh, have a lot of, they're looking to have um, increased job opportunities. They're going to be having an operations and maintenance facility on Martha's Vineyard. And um, they're looking for some other benefits for local communities. And all of that, they felt like, brought them to the point of winning this big contract. And the, the wind farm, it'll be like 50 to 100 turbines. And the whole thing, the construction jo job is like a $2 billion construction job, basically. So they're really just getting started, but it was a huge thing for them to to win the bid. Yeah, and again, just getting started on the specifics of this project in many ways, the what's led up to this uh, and, you know, a back history for anybody who cares was obviously Cape Wind came and and went at this point there in the midst, I think, of relinquishing their, their mm -hmm. lease uh, on the land that they had in Nantucket Sound. Much closer to the shore than this land that right. uh, Vineyard Wind is talking about. How far off, again, is it? Uh, you said 12 miles 12, okay. south of Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, so so uh, Cape Wind at its closest, I think, was five miles off, and so uh, yeah. further off uh, shore. Um, but they do have some, some similarities in that Cape Wind was also planning to come through Lewis Bay with their transmission cable. So some of the same concerns that came up as part of that project have come up from Yarmouth in particular in terms of, of that transmission cable, I know, uh, and you've done some reporting on that right. already. Um, and they have to reach kind of an agreement uh, with Yarmouth of some sort, although I know that within the state permitting process, there's opportunities for them to just kind of, I don't want to say bypass that, but <laughs> Cape Wind essentially did. They went to the Energy Facility Siting Board at the state level and got what was then referred to as a super permit uh, for all that work. And you imagine that the work that Cape Wind did actually might, you know, be usable by uh, by Vineyard Wind as they're looking at some of that stuff. But they have been, and all these companies have been quick to distinguish themselves from Cape Wind because the process that they went through in terms of site selection was kind of laid out by the state in a in an offshore planning process. I, I remember when they first came out with the where these areas could be. It looked like a dog that was spread out underneath the two islands. Oh, right. And then fishermen weighed in, environmentalists weighed right. in about some duck habitat, I believe, and they cut the dog in half. And then it was just this other section kind of more closer to, to uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard. Um, and again, these, these other companies, Deepwater Wind and Bay State Wind, didn't get the bid through Massachusetts, but uh, Deepwater Wind got right. something, right? Did what, get, what did they get? Right. So at the same time, apparently during the review, the four-month review of the bids for that Vineyard Wind 
deep water wind and Bay State wind had offered up to the state. The state of Massachusetts was also working with the state of Rhode Island so that um, I guess there's kind of whatever. They're working together so that in addition to Vineyard Wind being able to sell 800 megawatts, um, Deep Water Wind will also be selling 400 megawatts of power to uh, Rhode Island electric uh, distributors, yeah. I believe. And and that's interesting because, again, throughout the, the decade, more and more long process of kind of planning for this sort of thing, Massachusetts and Rhode Island were always kind of vying to be kind of first movers, if you will, as far as the state goes in this new industry that's being built. Um, and Rhode Island has deep water wind with five turbines off mm-hmm. Block, Block Island, the first uh, turbines operating offshore of Massachusetts. Um, but there was always this kind of competition. But then there was also an area I think the federal government had set aside that was kind of a shared area that they right. were looking at. Yeah. So it seems like there was some cooperation that occurred here. And all of that led to the to the fact that it's actually going to be, as you said, 1,200 megawatts uh, in reality that's, that's being uh, put in. And again, there's still fishermen, I think, still have questions about it and concerns about it. It's yeah. not without, uh, uh, there's going to be meetings, I think, uh, going forward. They're going to be coming to the Cape. The state will probably come to the Cape for meetings. People will remember the seemingly <clears throat> endless uh, public hearings for Cape Wind. Yeah. I, I don't know if it'll be like that, but there will, will certainly be meetings about this and, and a lot more opportunity for the public to have input. Right. There uh, are so many. There's federal permitting. All of that's kind of started, but is still there's a long way to go state permitting even down to Cape Cod commission. Um, and as I mentioned, or you mentioned the, um, meetings with the town of Yarmouth, the selectmen there, uh, and others. So this, this really tons. And you've already done some reporting on the permitting process, which is not uncomplicated, but again, is something that we'll be following along. I know you'll be following along and and we'll, we'll live vicariously in the permitting process through you, Marianne. So vineyard when they think they want to start construction in 2019, they've been talking all along about how they wanted to jump into the permitting process early. So that's. And you mentioned jobs earlier. It is going to be interesting to see what the actual jobs are that, that are created locally Mm -hmm. and how, uh, many there are and whether, you know, it's just for, there's certain jobs, lots of them that are just for construction. Right. Um, will they be going out of Martha's Vineyard? Did they, they had plans, I think, to do some operations out of Martha's Vineyard. But, yeah. But, I mean, they're definitely planning their operations and maintenance facility in at Vineyard Haven. Yeah. Yeah. That's really for once the whole thing gets built. So I'm not sure about the yeah, I know New Bedford staging. is looking at their marine terminal and hoping <laughs> that that's where it is. It, I think Quonset and Rhode Island is another option, but but these are areas that need to be big and have a lot of infrastructure versus <laughs> yeah. Martha's Vineyard, which is doesn't have that and probably wouldn't want that in the end. Yeah. Um, so a lot to follow going forward. We'll be we'll be keeping up with that through you, Marianne. Thank you. Um, looking ahead, uh, it's Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we have plenty of coverage planned uh, this weekend. I know I heard uh, Kevin. Kathy Scrizzy Driscoll, who sits right behind us here somewhere and, and uh, does our Cape Week and summer uh, 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 Cape sections. And, and she had a lot to say this morning about uh, all the things that were going to be happening this weekend. Some of the things we'll be looking at is I think Fagawi is tomorrow. This is the race back and forth from um, uh, Cape Cod to, uh, to where they go to Nantucket. 
Nantucket, I think, and uh, and back. It's a it's a very confusing time in the Fagawi when you're out there, so, which I've done a couple times. A lot of fun. So we'll be covering that with photos, and and our sports guys, I think, will be uh, taking a look at that. There's troops in the spotlight, which starts Sunday. Obviously, it's a weekend where everybody's barbecuing and everything, but it's also a weekend where it is Memorial Day, and and there's a reason for it, uh, and it's not not just hot dogs. Um, so there'll be troops in the spotlight starting Sunday at the Kmart uh, Plaza, known as Kmart Plaza, out on 132, where there'll be a lot of activities out there for folks to, to look at, and we'll be covering that to, to run some stories in Monday's paper. And then we have a couple of local stories. Uh, Assistant Sports Editor Bill uh, Porter is uh, talking to uh, some veterans about their experiences, and we'll be running that uh, in Monday's paper. And then uh, reporter Doug Frazier uh, learned about a flag, uh, an American flag with some special meaning, and that story will come in Monday's paper. Monday, tons of parades will be there. Uh, you know, hopefully you'll be able to make it to, to some of those. But if you happen not to be able to, you can check our coverage. That'll come in Tuesday's paper from that. Um, and that's all coming up this weekend. So take a look at the Cape Cod Times and CapeCodTimes.com for that. Thanks a lot for joining us. We really appreciate it. Share the link. Tell your friends. Come back next Thursday at 9 a.m. Uh, thank you, Marianne. Appreciate all your insight uh, on all things royal and wind-related. Um, we're where news starts on Cape Cod. Uh, until next week, have a good morning and good luck and happy Memorial Day weekend.